Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. Of course, if you have been following Bavarian Podcast Works of late, you would know that this is going to be a combination show just because the podcast schedule has been so compact and condensed due to Bayern Munich's busy schedule. The English weeks are upon us. We didn't want to overload everyone with a longer podcast. Uh, this would be, I believe, like the fourth one in the last, or actually the fifth one in the last seven days. So we didn't really want to uh, tax our listeners anymore <laughs> than, than we normally would. So we, we are going to combine this one. Uh, the preview show, of course, will kick things off, but we've got some other interesting topics that we will hit on the back end of this podcast that would be the normal weekly warm-up fodder. But let's get going with the preview show. Coming off of a 4-3 victory over Manchester United in the Champions League, you would think that there is a lot of reason for Bayern Munich to be optimistic. Now, the reality of that match, uh, and if you listen to my post-game show, you would know how I felt about it, is that there were a lot of great things about Bayern Munich and what they did against Manchester United. First and foremost, the attack was sensational. I, I really can't say enough good things about how good the attacking group looked. Harry Kane was asked to sit in a little bit deeper of a role, and I mean, he is just about as flexible of a superstar as you can imagine, and and yes, he's not exactly getting the full service that a striker of his, uh, I guess, stature deserves, but he's playing the team game. He's doing a lot of great things and his teammates are thriving around him. This is as good as Leroy Sané has played. Jamal Musiala looked terrific. Serge Gnabry put in a good shift. The Bayern Munich attack was just phenomenal. So you want to take the great things out of that game. That was it. Midfield was Eh, I, I, they weren't bad, but they weren't great. I expect a little bit more out of Yoshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. The back line was a mess. Conrad Leimer, Alfonso Davies were particularly bad. I did not also care for Dio Upamakano and Kim Min Jae in that match either. Just didn't like the way they played. So there's a lot to work on. And of course, that match was following up uh, the the big battle from last weekend, which ended in a 2-2 draw with Bayer Leverkusen. Bayern Munich has not yet fully established itself as the power that it really is, given the talent on the roster. This squad is still sort of feeling itself out. And even though that there have been some, some terrific moments, like we saw the attack against Manchester United, in other games, the attack was not so good. They looked choppy and out of sync. So it's all very much a work in progress for Thomas Tuchel as he tries to figure out how to get this team to reach the next level and how to get the best out of this group of players. And there are a, there is a, a fairly big segment of the fan base that is doubting that Tuchel is the man to, to actually extract the best out of this group. But that's something that we can process over the course of the season. As of now, Bayern Munich is riding pretty high. They are tied for first place atop the Bundesliga table, of course, still alive in the Pokal and are uh, actually just had that big win over United in the Champions League. So when it comes to results, Thomas Tuchel is getting them right now. But like we always do with the preview show, we'll take a look at where each team is in the table. Bayern Munich is currently sitting at second place behind Bayer Leverkusen through four match days. Bayern has three wins and one draw. 
that's good for 10 points. Uh, the reason they are in second place is because the goal differential they have is seven, whereas Bayer Leverkusen, who also has three wins and one draw, has a goal differential of eight. Bayern Munich has 11 goals for and four goals against. Of course, in the league, Bayern Munich has picked up a 4-0 win over Werder Bremen, 3-1 victory over Augsburg, 2-1 victory over Gladbach, which I know a lot of people were sweating, and of course, that 2-2 draw, Bayer Leverkusen, Bayern Munich last weekend. This week's opponents, VFL Bochum, not exactly having a great season, but somehow at one loss and three draws, they are 13th in the table. Bochum knows what it needs to do to survive, of course, and this will be a survival match for them. I wouldn't expect it to be very aesthetic at all. So with Bochum, they have four goals and four goals for nine against goal differential minus five. Of course, the three points all on draws and in their matches, Bochum started off the season with a five nil loss to VfB Stuttgart. Stuttgart, of course, one of the real surprise teams of the league so far, they look great. And uh, they'll be very interesting to watch to see what happens with that team over the course of the season. But right now, so far, so good. Bochum then had a very gutty 1-1 draw with Borussia Dortmund, a 2-2 draw with FC Augsburg, and then a 1-1 draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. So what we know about this Bochum side, it's not filled with individual talent. There is not going to be... Uh, any one player that's going to wow you. And I guess that says a lot for the collective of Bochum. They are a team that is actively looking to muck things up. They're looking to to, to grind out draws and hopefully a couple of wins. They want to stay in the top flight. And that's obviously they're going to do what they need to do for that. Uh, if you want to... <laughs> If you want to look at some of the more well-known names uh, on the Bochum side, you you would see Kevin Schlotterbeck, the defender. You would see uh, Felix Paslak in the midfield. There's just not a lot of brand names on this Bochum unit, but it doesn't mean that they can't be dangerous. It does not mean that they don't have something to offer. Bochum, of course, given where they're at in the table at 13th, they're going to want to slow this down. Obviously, they saw Bayern Munich's attack. They saw all the great things that Bayern Munich did offensively against Manchester United, but they also saw defensively where Bayern Munich could be exposed. Now, I don't know that Bochum has the level of athlete or attacker that can cause the kind of problems that United did at times for Bayern Munich, but Bochum nonetheless will absolutely, I expect them to sit back absorb a lot of punishment, look for a quick strike counterattack, and hope for the best. I think Bochum knows it's outgunned in this one. I think that Bayern Munich understands the situation. They're going to have to be patient. They're going to have to be energetic. They're going to have to have excellent movement off the ball to succeed against a team like this, who undoubtedly is not going to, to want to engage in a, in a slug fest where they try and trade punches offensively with Bayern Munich. Byron's going to have to think through it. Tuchel's going to have to push the button, right buttons with his lineup. And all of that is something that should make this a little interesting. Now, I know a lot of Byron fans will find this boring because the match itself could be 
a series of Byron trying to break through a wall and Bochum clearing it out. And, and certainly it could work out that way. But given how Byron looked offensively against Manchester United, I'm hoping that something has clicked in the attack. Now, the one thing that I would caution is that I still haven't seen Kane getting the type of service he deserves. And part of that is because Tuchel asked him to sit a little bit deeper, not get as high up in the attack at times. I would still like to see the wings feed Harry Kane more. I'd like to see the tens feed Harry Kane more. We, we just haven't seen that focus on him yet. And I think that's when Bayern Munich will absolutely start to look at its best when Harry Kane truly does become the focal point of the attack. Speaking of the attack, we will get started with our prediction for how Thomas Tuchel will line things up. And I think where this all leads after that Manchester United game is that Tuchel, for as much as he has been against rotating players, I think he has to make some decisions this week because some of the players that he has put in roles just did not look good. And and overall this season, it's not like Bayern Munich has been dominant. They have not. It has been uh, a series of choppy games. It's been some uneven performances, even when the attack looks great, the defense is terrible and vice versa, to be honest. So Tuchel, I, I think he's been too reliant on using the same 11 barring injuries and he needs to rotate more. I mean, for, for a guy that was lamenting the fact that he had a small roster, he's not using all of the players on the roster like he should. So I don't quite understand everything Thomas Tuchel bitches about. I don't quite understand every decision he makes. But right now you can't argue with his results. The, the thing as a Bayern Munich fan, you're watching these results. And in your mind, you're processing how some of this could eventually become an issue later down the season, later down the road this season. And I do think his unwillingness to rotate has caused some friction within the locker room and also uh, probably put a lot of fatigue on some players early on and is going to risk them for injury, which of course, when you have the talent that Bayern Munich has, it doesn't make any sense to me. There should be a steady rotation going on in almost every position at this point. But here we go. Let's look at the attack first. We're going to go a little bit opposite this week because I think the back line is where we're going to see some change. Uh, Harry Kane, of course, will start at striker. I think Jamal Musiala will sit at the 10. And the reason I'm going to, going to say that, that Musiala will play over Thomas Muller, you would think after a short week here that Musiala would get rest, especially coming off of an injury. But I think Musiala will get the start and Muller will probably come in. Uh, somewhere in between the 60th minute and the 75th minute. Uh, this has been a kind of a sticking point for me. Now, I was excited to see how Jamal Musiala played against Manchester United. That was the Musiala we saw la at this time last year. Now, we had also seen in recent months how Musiala had slumped a bit. He had really looked like he was second-guessing himself, not confident, not as explosive. And how he played against Manchester United was exactly what brings out the best in him. And, you know, one of my theories all along with Musiala and how much steady playing time he's been given is that with his background in England and with the allure of the Premier League and the money that the Premier League clubs can offer, it just does seem that Bayern Munich's going to go out of their way to keep him happy. And I think Musiala wants to play the 10. I don't necessarily think he wants to play wing, and I think that's what's driving the consistent decision to start him there. Now, at this stage of his career, 
if you're going tit for tat against Thomas Muller, you know, obviously Musiala is the more talented player right now. He's the younger, faster, more aggressive player. Muller still has plenty to offer. And, and, you know, one of my great theories for the last three years has been playing the two together is when you get the most out of Bayern Munich, but Tuchel's not seeing it that way. He's clearly avoiding playing Musiala at wing. Uh, Muller now is an afterthought. He is only going to get scrap time. And for those members of the hashtag Muller Mafia, I know this is a very difficult time for you because it's premature in my mind. I think Thomas Muller still has plenty to offer. He's just not going to get that many opportunities as I see it. Uh, you know, barring an injury to Jamal Musiala, it seems like Muller is going to be a steady sub. And even at that, won't get that much time on the field. So, think that's a bit of mismanagement uh, i'd be interested to see if tuchel does play him this weekend how long he sticks with him especially if things are looking choppy up against that parked bus that we know we're going to see so musiala and kane the top of the attack at wing this is where it gets a little bit interesting too it, it would be incredibly surprising to take Leroy sane off at this point given how hot he is uh, tuchel does also seem to have a preference for serge Gnabry over kingsley Coman. I could potentially see uh, Coman and Gnabry swap here, but I'm going to go with Gnabry again. I think that Tuchel's going to lean on that combination of Gnabry and Sané because I think he wants to see them working with Harry Kane. And he wants the three of them, along with Jamal Musiala, to build rapport and working together. And that can only be done through repetition and through gameplay. So I don't think we'll see a change there. I know it's a popular suggestion to think that Coman is going to get the nod, and it really wouldn't be surprising if he does get it over Canabri. But I, I think Tuchel, given how he's handled things, could just lean on his what I would call regulars at this point. In the midfield, it's again, there there are, is a chance we could see some movement here. Yashua Kimmich will no doubt start. Kimmich, of course, had that. Terrific assist to Matisse Tell at the end of the Manchester United match. But otherwise, I thought Kimmich was, eh, he was okay. He wasn't great in that game. Gretzka, I thought, was not great in that game either. And this is where it will be interesting for Tuchel. It almost feels like Tuchel's been waiting for Gretzka to have an off game <laughs> to, to put him back on the bench. And we could see that. So it's really going to depend on how Tuchel viewed Limer's really subpar performance at right back versus how he viewed Goretzka's uneven performance in the central midfield. I think he'll keep Kimmich and Goretzka together at least one more game. And if Goretzka struggles next time out, then we'll see Conrad Limer get the chance to play with Yashua Kimmich. So, so far, everything is intact. When we get to the back line, I think there will be some changes. The center back duo of Kim Min Jae and Diupa Makano. And listen, this wasn't outright terrible okay i thought their positioning was bad i thought some of their decisions were bad i i thought their man marking at times was bad uh, I, I didn't think they operated well together but it wasn't like horrendously awful to the point where fans are calling for either of them to be removed from the lineup it just wasn't good enough and and clearly could have cost Bayern munich the match with some of the mistakes that they made uh, given that, I do think Matthijs De Ligt is going to get a look this week. And I think it's going to come at the expense of Dio Upamakano, who had a an on-the-field argument with Leon Goretzka uh, against Manchester United. Um, there were some discrepancies about how the ball was being 
built up and pushed up the field. So I think Upamakano, given some of his struggles in the past, and given the fact that he was coming off an injury with France, I think he'll get a chance to sit down here. And I think Tuchel likes Kim Minjay better than he likes Upamakano and Matthijs De Ligt. So I'll, I think De Ligt will get some time. It will be playing with Kim Minjay. And knowing how Tuchel has you know, really reacted and set his lineups, if De Ligt comes out and looks great and Kim Minjay has a good game, it wouldn't shock me if De Ligt ends up taking over Upamakano's role for the meantime because why would Tuchel rotate when you have three great players at center back? So I, I don't know, but I'm going to go with the Licht and Kim Min Jay for this week. It just seems like you have to make some kind of change and try and get some kind of balance going on that back line. At the outside back positions, Alfonso Davies will play left back. Pretty confident of that, even though I thought he was pretty terrible in, in the game against Manchester United. I have crushed him a bit for him losing the ball, but that wasn't the problem against Manchester United. And it was kind of ironic that he had probably his worst defensive performance in recent memory against Manchester United, given the fact that Eric Ten Hag flatly said that Alfonso Davies is not a good defender uh, in a pregame interview. So uh, Ten Hag clearly knew something that they could expose with Davies. And I think that other teams are going to look at that situation. They're going to look at what Manchester United did to kind of thwart what Davies could bring to the table offensively and expose some of the gaps that he's leaving defensively. And I think they're going to look to capitalize on that. Davies, I'm sure, knows he needs to be better. Again, when you criticize a player like Davies, people automatically think you're a hater or you don't like the player or whatever. And it's simply not that. It's it, it's just looking at the situation and saying he wasn't good in that instance. It doesn't mean he's not a good player. Uh, sometimes fans get a little bit overprotective of those guys. Uh, players like Davies, players like Musiala, certainly players like Muller, they have been, uh, you know, the kind of player who, when critics come out, the fans really react strongly to support them. And, and I get that completely. But I, I want to see more from Davies. I want to see him be better. I, I know he can be better. We have seen him be better. It's just fair to start to wonder at this point if he's ever going to make that next step in his evolution as a player. Can he change and fix those things that have been problems for him in the past? And I, I want to see that. And I'm hoping that Tuchel can help push him to that. If not, uh, at some point, Rafael Guerrero will start to get some minutes because Tuchel is, while <laughs> he is someone who wants to stick with the same 11, he is not scared to make a change if he thinks there's a deficiency. So we will see Davies again. On the right side, I expect to see Nusarmas rally back in the lineup. I said this before, but I thought it was a really bizarre decision to take Conrad Limer, play him at right back when he was going to have to match up with Marcus Rashford. Now, I get it. Rashford is getting a lot of criticism in England for his lack of defending, but he was still a bit of a menace offensively and caused Limer some problems. Limer just didn't look comfortable at right back in that match. I thought he was really good in his other appearances, but in this one, not so much against Manchester United. So Limer will head back to the bench. Mesrali will get another opportunity, and then he will play in front of Sven Ulreich, who I've backed publicly here quite a few times, but I thought Sven was very unfocused in the second half. I don't know that he got much help defensively, but he's got to be better than he was. 
And I think that he will get back to what he was doing because in the first half, I thought he looked great. Second half, not so much. So uh, it's one of those works in progress. We'll see when Manuel Neuer is able to return, but uh, Ulreich did enough to win. I mean, aside of the, the DFL Super Cup, he's either won or he hasn't dropped points, put it that way in any game. So I think he's done his job, but he does, I'm sure, know that he needs to be better as well. As far as the prediction goes, I'm going to go with Bayern Munich 3-0. I don't think this is going to be a pretty game. I think it's going to be quite ugly. I think it's going to take Bayern Munich a little while to to break through. And with that, I think, you know, after Bayern gets one, the second one will be a little bit easier. And then the third one will absolutely, hopefully, be there to make me look smart and get that 3-0 victory. I did pick 3-2 Bayern over Manchester United. Uh, of course, that game ended 4-3. So I was close. I figured there would be some mistakes defensively and that United would do just enough to keep it competitive. I had no idea it would play out like it did with the last-minute flurry. So 3-0, Bayern Munich over VFL Bochum. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll hit our weekend warm-up portion of the podcast where we've got some good topics to take a look at. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, of course, we hit the preview of the Bayern Munich versus VFL Bochum match in the first part of this show. So we're going to go through some things right now, some hot topics of the week that I think deserve a little bit longer look than what they've gotten elsewhere. And this first topic is something that I touched on in the previous segment where Thomas Tuchel's lack of a rotation is just simply a bad idea for the, the long-term prospects of the season. Uh, I don't like how Tuchel is seemingly getting settled on an 11 and will only make changes when a player outright fails or has a bad game. I think with the type of talent that he has on this roster, he needs to be more consistent with his rotating. And whether that means Muller and Musiala or Musiala playing wing or Coman getting more run out on the wing, or Conrad Limer playing in multiple positions and Matisse Delict getting time and Rafael Guerrero getting some time and Matisse Tell getting, he has plenty of world-class options. And for a guy that was complaining about having such a small squad, the talent level that he has, he's not on this roster. He's not using it to the best of what I think the ability of the roster. He, he certainly can get more out of players and, you know, he, you're seeing some things with Matisse Tell right now where he is doing everything to push himself into the conversation to get more playing time on the wing. And at some point, if he keeps producing at the alarming rate that he is, he's going to have to push his way into that mix. And you're talking about a group of Leroy Sané who has absolutely been one of the top 10 players in the world and, and perhaps the best wing in the world at this point. Uh, he's been phenomenal. Serge Gnabry is, has been Serge Gnabry. He looks great. Some moments, other moments checked out and Kingsley Coman, who is disruptive, simply disruptive when he gets on to the pitch, just has not produced scoring wise like the other two have. But tell seems to be <laughs> a combination of the best of what Gnabry brings and the best of what Coman brings. I don't know that Tell can break down a defense or a defender 1v1 as consistently as Coman can, but he's getting there. And I don't know that Tell's always going to be able to score at the rate on those opportunities that Gnabry can, but he's certainly getting there as well. 
And I think it's something that Tuchel's going to have to take a look at. And I, I do believe that if Tell keeps his performances at this level, he definitely warrants more time. And I'm not saying he deserves to be a starter or anything like that, but why not have more rotation when you have that kind of talent in the attack? I feel the same way about Musiala and Muller. Musiala, given how slight he is and how he's been battling some injuries, I would like to see him rested more frequently. I don't think that he needs to play at the 10 in every game. I think Muller still has a lot to offer, so why not use that? I think when you have a player like Conrad Limer in the midfield or at right back, that you should be using him more as well. Now, recently we've seen Limer take that turn at right back. Some good, some bad there, but sitting Joshua Kimmich, as much as he hates it, I think that needs to happen too. I mean, you have the talent. There's no reason not to use it. And I think if Tuchel can get over the fact that he wants this consistent starting 11, he's going to be able to throw out just multiple different versions of starting 11s and in good lineups. He just has to get over that hump. And I don't know why he's been reluctant to, to really embrace the rotation. You can see it perfectly in, in how he's handled the center backs. It's not as if Dio Upamakano and Kim Min Jae have been flawless or great, but Tuchel has some things he does not like about Matthias Delict. And even though Upamakano and Kim Min Jae have been up and down at times, he has Tuchel has been reluctant to, to roll out Delict. Now, I just predicted that Delict will get some run this weekend, but it was really after a pretty abysmal showing by the entire back line. And sure, communication could be an issue back there. Certainly, defensive positioning is is a problem at this point. Maybe Delict can come in, and given how vocal he is and how much of a leader he is on the back line, he can help with that situation. But if Tuchel continues to not use all of the available talent, I think he's doing this roster a disservice. And I do think at some point it's going to start causing some venting and some frustration from those players in the locker room who just aren't getting their numbers called as much as they want. So uh, let's let's keep an eye on Tuchel's decision for this weekend with his lineup because I think it'll tell us a lot about where he's going. If he keeps the same consistent starting 11, then at this point I'm willing to say he's just being stubborn about it and this is going to be a problem moving forward. One of the other things that I have really come to understand and realize is that Harry Kane is really just a nicer, less bitter version of Robert Lewandowski. Now, I have been an unabashed admirer of Lewandowski's game. And I think Lewandowski kind of got a bad rap at Bayern Munich as being selfish and being a player who's really only about himself. But if if you're a Bayern fan and you remember the greatness of Lewandowski, it was that he could also drop a little further back play that role that Harry Kane is playing right now and distribute some of Lewandowski's passes. And that was one of the most underrated parts of his game, his vision and his passing really helped get the wings going at times during his tenure at Bayern Munich. And I think we're seeing that now with Harry Kane, when you have that kind of versatile weapon, it is extremely hard to replace. So when Bayern Munich lost Lewandowski and they tried that you know, half-assed experiment last year with Sadio Mane, Thomas Muller, Chupo Moting. You can't play the same way. Lewandowski is one of a handful of players that can command that kind of attention in the attack from defenses and, and be able to produce goals and, and and set his teammates up as well. Now, again, I'm not saying that Lewandowski was always out there 
being a point guard, certainly not. But when he wanted to, and when he wanted to be that kind of player, he absolutely did it with a plum. And we're seeing that with Kane right now. Kane, obviously, at this point, you know, we haven't seen the worst of him by any means. He's been really good. His attitude has been fantastic. He has not complained about anything. Uh, so, you know, it'd be tough to say that there's anything negative to say about Kane. You know, during Lewandowski's tenure, of course, he had some run-ins with coaches. He had run-ins with teammates. And, and you know, some of that was what you expect out of a diva-type player. Kane looks to be every bit as talented as Lewandowski in everything that he can do on the pitch. He just doesn't have that diva attitude. And I think for this particular group, that's probably going to be a mindset that will benefit Kane down the road here because I, the way I've seen Byron's attack play out, Gnabry and, and Sané have both been good this season but they're both far more scoring minded than perhaps say Kingsley Coman. So they're going to look to get theirs uh, and they're not necessarily looking to set up Harry Kane. And that's something that Kane's going to have to adjust to. And I think over the course of time, so will Sané and Gnabry that they will also be the types of players that are going to be more engaged in feeding the striker. I do believe that, as this group gets more familiar with each other, they're going to make that transition, get over the hump and look really seamless. And we saw bits and pieces of that in some of the work that Kane and Sané did over the course of that Manchester United game. But Kane, it seems like, is going to be able to handle any amount of time that it takes to get to that point much better than Lewandowski could. And it's again, I'm not even knocking Lewandowski because I think Lewandowski kind of got screwed his last season under Julian Nagelsmann because it was all about the wings trying to score and almost not nothing was about trying to get Lewandowski the ball at that point. If Tuchel can convince Sané and Gnabry to make some slight alterations to what they're doing and and Kingsley Coman as well, I think this it's going to one benefit the team and it's going to two make Harry Kane look even better than he already is, but for my money right now, Kane's doing everything perfectly. He is doing, I mean, just he's been an excellent pickup. What more can you say about the guy? He's been a consummate team player. He is changing his game and adapting it to what the coach is asking him to do. And he's still producing at such a good rate. I mean, Harry Kane, what a terrific, terrific pickup. Uh, Bayern Munich deserves all the kudos in the world for that one. And and I, admittedly, I never thought it was going to happen. I thought it was all bollocks, right? I thought it was BS. I thought there was no way Kane was going to leave England. And man, he proved me wrong. And it's been so fun to watch since it happened. Uh, I did eat a lot of crow for that and, and was certainly happy to. Finally, the last topic, at least the last football topic that I want to hit, there was something else I wanted to touch on uh, that I'll get to, but we are seeing the best of Leroy Sané right now, aren't we? I mean, at 27 years old, it feels like Sané has hit his peak. This is the ultimate that he can be, and it's damn impressive. I mean, Sané right now, aside of his goal production, which has like, just been terrific so far, Sané, the way he is moving on the pitch and how engaged he is at both ends. This is what I think Brazo, when he ultimately went through that year and a half long pursuit, had envisioned. And I think 
Sané, over the course of his time, from the beginning of that pursuit at Man City, followed by the ACL injury, followed by the eventual move to Bayern Munich, I think all of that helped him grow. And and one in one particular case, I think having to come in and play under Hansi Flick, uh, much like Pep Guardiola, someone that was not going to just cater to Sané and let him be a, a one-sided player. Uh, Sané was not exactly someone who was overly enthusiastic about playing defense at times. I'm not saying he was a horrible defender or anything like that, but he wasn't always engaged in playing at both ends of the pitch. Hansi Flick demanded that out of Sané. And if we can say any one thing about Flick during that period is that he did something to get the most out of his players. And I think the one thing that he helped Sané understand is that Yes, you can be a great attacking player. You can be one of the most dangerous wings in the world. But until you embrace being a good defender and consistently doing it, you're never going to reach your peak. And I think right now we're seeing it because not only has Sané just been terrific in terms of his attacking and his movement off the ball, which I think has been just world-class of late, but he's still playing at both ends of the pitch extremely hard. He has become that complete player that I think Brazo way back in the day envisioned. And this is this is quite the evolution for Sané. He has made the adjustments in his game. He has done things that he probably didn't want to do to help him get to this point. And I do think that he is clearly at the peak of his game. This is his prime. At 27, I think you've got two or three more years left of Sané playing at this level. The only question I think that some fans might have is, can he do this consistently? Can he keep up with this pace in terms of how he's playing offensively and also com the commitment that he's shown to defense? And I think he can. I think he's got about three years of, of absolutely doing it before he starts to take a little bit of a step back. And this has just been incredible to watch. And I think if you're a Bayern Munich fan, you're extremely excited about the prospects of Sané. And what he is bringing to the table right now, he truly can be a difference maker in this quest that Bayern Munich has to get a treble. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of what Sané is doing right now. This far exceeds what I even thought Sané could be. It was never about doubting his talent or his ability. It was really about can he be the type of consistent player and stay mentally focused long enough to be able to do great things over an extended period. And if he continues to go on this course and do what he's doing, I think Bayern Munich fans are in for just a, a really fun ride and watching him. The only caveat I would say is throughout this current period with Sané, he has not shown any of those funk tendencies. And no, I'm not talking about funk music. I am talking about letting himself get into a slump, battling himself, really. I mean, for Sané, it's not about opponents stopping him as much as him stopping himself mentally. And I think, you know, last season we saw some good examples of how he battles himself and questions his own decision-making at times, which ultimately ends up putting him in a little bit of a slump. And, you know, that's when we see him stop scoring and and start making some bizarre decisions on the pitch. And we haven't seen that yet. And if, if Sané can keep himself mentally right, uh, all of the physical things are certainly falling into place. So big kudos to him and for all of the adjustments he's made in his game over the seasons to get to this point where he looks like one of the best players in the world. The final thing that I did want to hit on was a little piece of entertainment news. And I was 
not necessarily a huge fan of the show winning time on HBO. It, of course, detailed the transition from the late seventies into, I guess what would be the early nineties of the Lakers. The show was, if you've been following entertainment, it was cut short and was canceled after its second season. Uh, I, I will say this as someone who really wasn't into the concept because I did try and watch it in the beginning. And there were some things that I didn't like about the show in terms of how some of the characters were portrayed, didn't necessarily match up with how they were in real life. Uh, but I did watch the show uh, through the first season and certainly through the second season. Uh, I wasn't hate watching it. Like I tended to do with the walking dead toward the end there, but I, I watched it because quite frankly, there, there just wasn't a lot going on. Uh, so the first season was okay in my mind. Second season I thought was really well done. Unfortunately, like I said, it was canceled. But one of the things that I think you have to understand with HBO, and they've had a, a terrible history of this, is no matter how good they have it with a, a property, in this case, a show like Winning Time, which had a lot of critical acclaim had a lot of social media uh, following. I mean, there was it was a very popular show in a lot of outlets. HBO just tends to overshoot with some things in terms of what they want out of it. Uh, they throw, can tend to throw, I should say, a lot of money into production, which with any great show, it's going to take a lot to get, get them produced, whether it's the cost of the cast and the actors, the sets, everything, graphics and, and imagery, all of that. Uh, it costs a lot of money and it's not always easy when you're on a, a cable and streaming platform now to make that money back. If you, if you put in a big investment, I think of shows in the past, like the wire and carnival and some of those other shows that really, I mean, great concepts, great stories, but were ultimately cut a little bit short because HBO didn't have the vision or the budget to be able to support those shows like they needed to. And it's, you know, you do see this in other platforms as well. I mean, if you want to look at Netflix, I mean, how many great shows has Netflix been unable to sustain because of not being able to produce a budget that, that can handle them. I mean, I mean, I think of glow and I think of mind hunters, mind hunter, especially where when those shows reach a certain level of popularity, actors need to be paid more. There's more expectation in, in the production. Uh, everybody gets paid more, not just the actors. And, and these platforms can't sustain it. They can't keep those kind of shows profitable. And when the shows aren't profitable, they go. And and it's I thought it was unfortunate in the end with winning time because there, there's a lot to offer. And I thought the second season kind of course corrected some things with how the characters were portrayed and as opposed to their real life figures and how the story evolved. And it's interesting, yes, of course, that the irony that winning time ended the second season with the Lakers losing to the Boston Celtics. Now, you could argue that <laughs> there was some really unfair portrayals of the Boston Celtic players uh, in, in that in that second season, but uh, some of it rang true and it rang true enough to to make it a worthwhile watch. There is no endpoint for it other than what's there. And I think that the, the crew behind Winning Time did about as well as they could in telling that story. And they must have had a, a pretty good insight that it was going to get canceled after the second season with the way that they ended it and some of the uh, 
uh, action or not action, but some of the uh, not even narration, but words right before the credit. So uh, in the end, I thought it was a, a decent run by an HBO show. It was a uh, pretty captivating second season, I will say, with how things developed. It's a little bit of a shame that things did not get uh, a chance, that the show did not get a chance to go a little bit further. I think a lot of people were looking forward to seeing the Michael Jordan years or even uh, the bad boys era Pistons to see how that was portrayed as well. But, um, you know, if you were into that show, drop me some comments. Let me know what you thought about that and how you think it played out. Particularly like to hear from some of you Byron fans living in Boston that might have liked the show because of how the Celtics were portrayed. Um, I know that it was a pretty uh, it was a mix there and how some Boston Celtics fans viewed the show. So would love to hear from you guys, but I will uh, be looking to get more frequent with my streaming, but it sounds like an excuse, but we're literally like I'm watching the Phillies like every day. My kids are uh, active every day. I mean, right now I'm not even coaching anything, so I don't even have that to battle with, but right now I'm still struggling to find time though. I will eventually make some and get back to watching some shows so we can discuss them. So that'll do it for this weekend warm up. Uh, appreciate you listening. If you get a chance, check out the post game show from uh, the Manchester United match. I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Uh, and also stay tuned for a post game show with VFL Bochum after that match and our flagship show, which will drop late Sunday night, uh, East coast time in the United States. So as always, you can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Please hit it up for all of the game coverage and all of Bayern Munich and Germany, German national team news. We've got everything covered. So hit us up there, find us, check out our posts, drop us some comments. We love interacting with you. So have fun watching the game this weekend. Have a couple of beers on me, and we'll see you next time.